our Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 29. We have uh, three chapters left. We're going to go over this whole chapter today. And uh, we'll see about next week if we're going to cover that whole chapter or not. But uh, I'll read uh, from the Word of God. It says, Now the Philistines had gathered all their forces at Aphek, and the Israelites were encamped by the spring that is in Jezreel. And the lords of the Philistines were passing on by hundreds and by thousands. And David and his men were passing on in the rear with Achish. And the commanders of the Philistines said, What are these Hebrews doing here? And Achish said to the commanders of the Philistines, Is this not David, the servant of Saul, king of Saul, uh, who has been with me now for days and years? And since he deserted to me, I have found no fault in him to this day. But the commanders of the Philistines were angry with him. And the commanders of the Philistines said to him, Send the man back that he may return to the place to which you have assigned him. He shall not go down uh, with us uh, to battle, lest in the battle he become an adversary to us. For how could this fellow reconcile himself to his Lord? Would it not be with the heads of the men here? Is not this David of whom they sing to one another in dances? Saul has struck down his thousands and David his ten thousands. Then Achish called David and said to him, As the Lord lives, you have been honest and you have been honest, and to me it seems right that you should march out and in with me in the campaign. For I have found nothing wrong in, your, in you from the day of your coming uh, to me to this day. Nevertheless, the lords do not approve of you. So go back now and go peaceably that you may not displease the lords of the Philistines. And David said to Achish, but what have I done? What have you found in your servant from the day I entered your service until now, that I may not go and fight against the enemies of my lord, the king. And Achish answered David and said, I know that you are blameless in my sight as an angel of God. Nevertheless, the commanders of the Philistines have said, he shall not go with us to the battle. Now then rise early in the morning with the servants of your lord who came with you and start early in the morning and depart as soon as um, as soon as you have light. So David set out with his men early in the morning to return to the land of the Philistines, but the Philistines went up to Jezreel. That is the word of the Lord. Amen. All right, so I'm just going to get right into it and, and, and tell you this. If you've ever made a mess of your life, I, I believe that this sermon is going to be a, a blessing towards you. Um, if you're dealing with the consequences of your sin or you're dealing with the mess that you've made right now, then to that I would say praise the Lord because uh, when we sin, we know that the Bible tells us that he disciplines those whom he loves. And the reason for that discipline is so that we are led back to him. It's, it's for repentance sake. So uh, today our passage tells us a story of, uh, of a mess that David makes of his life. And the wonderful thing about it is how the Lord was willing to uh, save him and uh, save him out of that situation uh, for his greater good. So without spending any more time on the introduction, let's just get into uh, scripture because I have to go back a little bit so that we can gain a better context of what was going on uh, here in chapter 29. Uh, first, let's talk about David's tangled mess and or the mess that, that David makes of his life. Uh, the last we read about David 
was in chapter 27. Uh, there was a little small um, portion in chapter 28 that we'll go over, but the main uh, aspect or the main happenings of David's life are, are written in chapter 27 before this. We see in chapter 27 that David said in his heart that I, basically he said in his heart, I'm going to perish one day because of Saul. Saul will not relent and chase him after me. Uh, so then therefore he will kill me one day and I, I need to uh, I need to hide. I need to run. I need to save myself from Saul because he will not relent in chasing me. And, uh, they, and Saul, or David thought it would be a good idea for him to escape to the land of the Philistines. We see that in 1 Samuel 27, chapter, or verse 1. And uh, there he's thinking that if I go back to the land of the Philistines, there Saul will despair of seeking me any longer uh, within the borders of Israel, and then I will escape out of his hand. So in essence, David thought it would be better for him to seek refuge with his own personal enemy, uh, the Philistines, but also enemies of the Lord, enemies of God. Um, He thought it would be better for him to seek refuge with them than to seek refuge with God himself. Uh, Rather than trusting in God to take care of him in his situation, there in Israel, because that's, he knew that's where he needed to be. Uh, he was anointed the king of Israel, who was just waiting for Saul to be dethroned. Uh, God had already gave him this, this promise. He knew he needed to be in Israel, but he decided in his heart that it'd be better for him to go to Philistine territory. Now, I guess God was taking too long for David, and I think we can all relate to that, because There are times in our lives where we want what we want right now. We know what God has said in his word. We know the promises he has made to us, but that's not good enough for us. We are a generation that is used to getting things right here, right now. Um, Everything we want is a click away, right? And then we grow impatient. If we order something from, let's say, Amazon, we grow impatient when it doesn't come in in one or two days, right? When we have to wait a week, I mean, we just throw our hands up in the air in frustration that we have to wait that long to receive whatever it is we want. And I think that has really gotten into our spiritual life and especially our prayer life, where if we're praying for something or we're waiting for something from the Lord for a certain, a certain amount of time, if it's taking too long, we grow frustrated. And what do we do when we grow frustrated? Well, we begin to try to figure out the problem under our own power. And like David, in our heart, we decide to do something. But when we decide to do something like that, we make a mess of things. And that's exactly what we're seeing here. David decides to go back to the uh, to Philistine country to King Achish. And this is the same place where he had run before in chapter 21. Now, his thinking is irrational because the first time it didn't work. It's not going to work this time again. But that's what fear makes us do. It makes us to think irrationally. Uh, David regretted his decision back in chapter 21 when Achish recognized him. And David basically had to act like he was crazy in order to escape. And he barely made it out alive. He wrote Psalm 34 uh, as a tribute to the Lord for saving him out of that situation. Now, David's lack of trust in God and his unwillingness to seek the Lord's guidance uh, through either the ephod or, or, or through the prophet put him in a very sticky situation. And I think that's really important for us to remember the fact that he was not willing to trust the Lord and he did not seek the Lord's guidance. 
When we are in trouble, when we are in sticky situations, those two things are common in our lives as well. We're not willing to seek the Lord, and we're not, we're not willing to uh, wait on the Lord. We're not willing to trust on the Lord. The fact that David was making decisions based on emotions alone show, shows us the state of his faith. Uh, here, David is seen as having serious doubt. It's one of those situations where uh, we, we, we sit there and we're like, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. Because right now, my unbelief matches my belief. Like, I know you've done this, bef- you've done this for me before. Uh, I've seen your mighty works. I just need to be reminded of them right now in my current situation because I don't see a way out of this. Well, uh, that's where exactly where, where David is right now at this point of his life. And one thing we need to know is that whenever we get into this type of situation and we're making decisions based on emotions, uh, that's where we start to make great mistakes. That's where we begin to sin against God because basically we are led by our hearts. And we know that the heart is not a good guide of the will. We know that the heart will deceive us, that the heart will lead us to sin. Even the Bible says the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Even though we know that, we still trust our hearts in certain situations. Why? Because we are impatient and we, have, we are tired of our circumstance. The thing that we have to understand is that sin proceeds from the heart And that's why it must be guided by the will and word of God. We cannot rely on our hearts to guide our lives. When we make decisions with our hearts uh, leading us, we veer from the word of God and we begin to do what is right in our own eyes. When we begin to do what is right in our own eyes, we're not worried about what the word of God has told us. We're not worried about where the the word of God has directed us. Uh, We just want to do what we want to do. That is a really dark place to be. Uh, At this point, David's doubtful heart led him away from God, and basically it's leading him towards immediate danger and trouble. Now, once David gets to the land of the Philistines, basically things go from bad to worse. First, David is forced to make an allegiance with an unbelieving, idol-worshiping king. That's what he's forced to do. He has to make friends with someone like that. Um, and, and during this allegiance, or through this allegiance, King Achish, who was the king of the Philistines, he expects David to make raids against his own people, the Israelites. And, and he expects him to do it often while he is living in Philistine territory. And we know that David agrees to this because he is allowed to live there in peace. And we have to be reminded that David, David is, is, is public enemy number one for the Philistines because he has done so much damage to them and their army, but yet he's able to live in peace. Why? Because King Achish uh, believes that David is attacking the Israelites and doing his dirty work for him. Well, that's the first thing. But secondly, with this agreement in place with David, uh, David had to attack his kinsmen or he had to lie about doing it. And since David is such a good liar, he chooses to lie about it. And he tells King Achish that he's attacking the Israelites, but all along uh, he's attacking uh, the enemies of Israel around the Philistines. He's killing everyone so that no one goes and tells King Achish and he's bringing the spoils and living off of them. 
Uh, and we see that in 1 Samuel 27, verses 10 through 12. Um, but uh, sooner or later, when we're living a lie, it catches up to us. And everything came to a head when Israel went out to war against the Philistines. Uh, let's look at uh, chapter 28, verses 1 and 2. It says, In those days the Philistines gathered their forces for war to fight against Israel. And Achish said to David, Understand that you and your men are to go out with me uh, in the army. Now listen to this. David said to Achish, Very well, you shall know what your servant can do. And Achish said to David, Very well, I will make you my bodyguard for life. I don't know if you caught that, but... uh, Basically, Israel is going to fight the Philistines. King Achish says, you're coming with me. Uh, You've been attacking Philistine country this whole time. You've been with me over a little over a year. Now I'm going to use you in this great battle. We're finally going to kill the Israelites. We're going to kill them off and, and, and they're going to be done with. And I'm going to use you. I'm going to use you to do it. And David's like, very well, you can you're going to be able to see how good I am in battle. And so he and his 600 men agree to go with Achish to fight the Israelites. Let's pause for a moment and let's think about what's going on here. The anointed king of Israel has decided to join the rival army of Israel and has agreed to attack his own people. That's where David is in his life right now. That's how far he is on the dark side. How frightful a place that David's heart has guided him to. That's where our hearts guide us. To a dark place like that, if we're not careful. And by the time we realize it, we're already tangled up in that mess. Well, when you look at David's life, how tangled of a mess had David caused his life to be because of sin? You know, there's a place, and it's called Rock Bottom. And Rock Bottom is one of the scariest and most desperate places one can be. I've been there. You've been there. In fact, I believe that every Christian goes through that. Every, every Christian visits this place because that's how they've become a Christian. They visit Rock Bottom and they realize They can't do it on their own. They realize they're not good enough. They see the wickedness inside of them. They cry out for help. They are caught in a very, very desperate situation. That's what rock bottom is. I I, I believe rock bottom is a glimpse of hell. But only through the grace of God are we able to realize our sin and our desperate state that we look up and call upon God. But it gives us just a glimpse of what hell could be. Hell is a place where God's grace and mercy is not. And and for the Christian, we get a glimpse of it when we hit rock bottom and we realize we have a savior and we call out to him. Because even though rock bottom is a horrible place to be, it's a place where we meet our Savior. That's the beautiful thing about rock bottom is that it causes you to look up. There are people stuck in this state all their lives, though. 
There are those who will never call out to the Lord. They see this glimpse of hell and, and, and this will be their eternity. But for the Christian, we look up because there is nowhere else to look. If we look all around, we're in this pit. If we look down, there's no further that we can go. We look up and we see the Savior of our souls. And we call upon him to help us, not only in our situation, but to help us in our spiritual state. That is the blessing that you and I have in the Lord. But the thing is, is that once we hit rock bottom, we come to know Christ, we're certain to visit that place again. Because we will sin against the Lord. And sometimes we will backslide. We will be guided by our hearts and we will make a mess of our lives. And then we get back to the place where we were before, the place we said we would never visit again. And we see where we have led ourselves. And I believe this is where David is at. And you know the funny thing about David right now? He doesn't even know it. He doesn't even realize it until the next chapter, into chapter 30. Right now, he's fallen into this pit and hasn't hit it yet, but he will very soon. The Lord is faithful to us. The Lord saves. And we get to see that happening in David's life right now. And, and, and let's, let's also mention the differences between the way the Lord treats Saul, who is an unbeliever, and the way the Lord treats David, who is a believer. Saul, judgment is coming upon his life. Because of his sins. Because he lacks complete faith. David, David, discipline is coming upon his life. Because of his sin. But his faith is still in the Lord. As I told you before, we, when we go through these, uh, when we go through these letters, which were, it was basically one letter at one time, they just divided it up because it was so long. But if we go through 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel, mainly through 1 Samuel because that's where Samuel, or that's where the life of Saul and David are depicted. It's, it's very hard to tell the difference between Saul and David sometimes. They do similar things. And yet, one is saved and the other isn't. And it makes me look at the passage and it makes me realize the only difference between the two is Christ. Christ is the difference. So right now, David has made a mess of his life. He's hit rock bottom. He has nowhere else to go. And good thing for him and the good thing for us is that the Lord does save and he saves David in this situation. First of all, there is no doubt that this tangled situation is all David's doing. If we go back and look at what he's done in chapter 27 um, and, and also in, in chapter, at the beginning of chapter 28, we'll see that he did not confirm anything with God. And he listened to doubt and despair of his heart. That's the whole reason why he even got into this whole mess. He was tired of waiting on God. He was tired of, of dealing with the situation with Saul. 
Uh, he, he doubted that God would fulfill his promises. He got, his doubt got so bad that he was in despair. He had a big pity party for himself, and he decided, I know better than God. That's how he ended up in this situation. Also, though, he deceived King Achish by making him think he was his ally. When you look at chapter 29 and you hear King Achish talk to David, he's like number one fanboy of David. And he thinks David is so committed to him. He does not see how David is double crossing him. And thankfully for David, the Lord is protecting him through that and doesn't allow King Achish to see that. Because imagine if he saw what David was really doing. It'd be over for David. But also, when you look at David's life, he thought it was better to be in the presence of his enemies than to be under the protection and guidance of God. And also, David had forgotten the anointing and the promises of God for his life. So that's how he got into this tangled situation. David is in this desperate situation, but there is no comment about him crying out to the Lord at this point, or there is no psalm attributed to God here. Uh, help, uh, let's explore the passage. Uh, first of all, let's look at verses 1 through 3 in chapter 29. It, the, the Bible says that the Philistines had gathered all their forces. So this was judgment time, basically for Saul. And the Philistines gathered all their forces, and we talked about how they've been building their army, and Saul's been so busy chasing after David that he has not built his army. And so they go, and they, they're going to fight this battle. And when Saul sees the army of the Philistines, he panics, and he basically all of, of, of his confidence leaves him. And he goes to the dark side. He goes to the devil to, 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 to seek guidance from uh, from the devil in order to what he should do in this battle. All that is covered in uh, 1 Samuel chapter 28. But the Philistines are gather their forces, and this is telling the side of the Philistines. As the lords of the Philistines, these were ruling elders of the Philistines, and apparently they had, some, they had uh, positions of power because they were able to override King Achish. And as they were passing on by hundreds, and the Bible says... Uh, by thousands, David and his men were passing on in the rear with King Achish. Now notice something. This is how fooled King Achish is. He tells David in chapter 28, you're my bodyguard for life. He meant it. King Achish is in the rear of the army. Well, that's the best place to be. If you're about to go to war, it's better for you to be at the very back than at the very beginning, at the very front. So notice what King Achish is doing. He has himself at the very back, and he has the Hebrews with him. So in essence, the Philistines are going out, and they're going to be doing the dirty work, and the Hebrews are, are, are being treated like royalty. They're back there with King Achish. And... The, uh, the, the Philistines see this, or the lords of the Philistines see this, and it angers them. They say to King Achish, what are these Hebrews doing here? First of all, they don't even belong in our army. Second of all, you're putting them in a place of honor. 
You're, you're, you're putting them at the very back of this battle where we are going to basically protect them and then they're going to get to a point where they're going to betray us. It tells us in uh, verse 4, but the commanders of the Philistines were angry with him. And they said, he shall not go down with us to battle, lest the battle, in the battle, he became, he become an adversary to us. And they were sure of this. And this is very wise of them, the lords of the Philistines. They say, for how could this fellow reconcile himself to his Lord? They're looking at this as, oh, David's just going to battle with us so that he can turn around, start killing us, and he can make amends with Saul. This is, this is like a, a double agents here. They're going, they're going behind enemy lines, but, but their, their goal is to attack us and to kill us. And the Philistines said, would it not be with the heads of the men here that David would actually do that? And then they recite this song that gets recited over and over and over again. He, they remind King Achish, remember Saul has struck down his thousands, but David, he has struck down his ten thousands. And then Achish calls David and says to him, as the Lord lives, you have been honest. That, that should make us chuckle, right? You have been honest with me. David has been anything but honest with King Achish. But that's, when I look at that, that's the Lord. Blinding King Achish to keep David safe. Because even though David has lost faith, the Lord is not done with him. And even in his disobedience, the Lord is protecting him. Let that be a lesson for all of us. But he looks at David and he says, you have been honest. For I have found nothing wrong in you from the day of your coming to me to this day. Nevertheless, he says, the Lord do not approve of you. So go back now and go peaceably that you may not displease the lords of the Philistines. Now, I find it fascinating how the Lord kept David from further sin and also from further trouble. Look at these chains of events. See how the sovereign Lord moved in the hearts of David's enemies to dispel him from their army. But in doing so, they acted in mercy not to kill him. It could have been very easy for the lords of the Philistines to say these, basically to say, you know what, before we go in battle, we're going to take care of David and his 600 men. We're going to slay them right now. And it doesn't seem like King Achish could have done anything about it. But notice what scripture says. King Achish says, go back, basically. Go back to the land of the Philistines. But here's the key word. Go peaceably. Basically, gather your men, gather your stuff, and just walk back. We're not going to do anything to you. That is the hand of a sovereign Lord. There are some who believe that people have autonomous free will. And that's basically a free will that, that lives and is powered on its own resources. A will that is not dependent on a higher will or a more powerful will. 
that we, can, that we make our decisions outside of God's will affecting us. They believe that God cannot interfere in the lives of his creatures. Basically, that God is a God who has created all things and just has set it in motion. And he's just letting it go until the time is over. But here in Scripture, it shows us that the Lord does what he pleases and when he pleases with the lives of his creatures. The Lord doesn't ask David if he wants his help. Notice that. He doesn't visit David and say, hey, David, you're in trouble right now. I know you don't see it, but something bad's going to happen to you. Can I help you? I don't know about you, but that wasn't my experience with the Lord. Did he visit you and say, hey, you're in trouble right now. If you don't mind, I'd like to help you. It was more like a situation with Paul on the road to Damascus. We're walking through our lives, making a mistake of everything and, 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 and tangling up our lives, making a mess of everything. We're not worried about the Lord. We're not seeking the Lord. And then all of a sudden, his great power is before us. He turns our hearts. We realize that we are not the savior of our souls. We're not the kings of our souls. We see him for who he is. He changes our lives forever. When he speaks to the disciples, notice the Lord didn't say, hey, would you like to come with me? I'm, I'm going to make your life miserable. I want you to follow me into that misery. I want you to give up everything you've ever worked for. Become poor and pitiful. I want you to do all that. Would, would you do that? Do you think the disciples would have said yes to that question? No, the Lord looked at them and said, no, come, follow me. The same is true for you. When the Lord called you, he said, come, follow me. And you said, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord, I will. The Lord doesn't ask David. He doesn't ask anybody. I mean, even at this point, it doesn't seem that David has any sense of the depth of his despair. I tell you what, looking at David in his life right now, knowing what I've been through, knowing what you've been through, it's a blessing that the eyes of the Lord are upon us. It's a blessing that, that, that he guides us and helps us. Even in the valley of the shadow of death. He is our shepherd. See, many times we have no clue the things that the Lord has saved us from. We wake up, we go about our business, we come home and, and, and we go to sleep, we lay down, we pray and we think tomorrow we'll just do this all over again. And we, we think life is automatic, that everything is just going to fall into place and it's always going to happen day after day after day after day, not realizing what the Lord has done for us in that day. 
are what he's done for us day after day after day. It is true, the, wor the Lord works in mysterious ways and the power of his spirit cannot be tamed. It cannot be understood. He is like the wind. No one can capture it. It's a powerful thing. It comes and goes as it pleases. You know, what's funny looking into this story is that even after being let go, David is adamant that he had done nothing wrong. David had the audacity to ask King Achish, what did I do? What have I done? Why are you sending me away? Now, if I can insert my opinion here, and you know, this is strictly my opinion, I will state it as that. I, I will not say that I have found anything in the Bible or any commentary that, that can support this. It's just me looking at scripture and, and thinking, yeah, that's what David would have done. I, I strongly believe that David would have double-crossed the Philistines. Looking at his behavior beforehand, how he was adamant to march out with him, that's what he was going to do. I don't see David fighting against the Israelites and killing his own people. I, I just don't see how he would have ever come to that place. I think the lords of the Philistines were wise to send him away because that's exactly what David was going to do. But even at that, you scratch your head and you say, well, why didn't the Lord allow that to happen? Because if David was allowed to march with the Philistines and then turn on them, he's right there by King Achish. He's at the rear where the royalty is. He could have killed all the heads of the Philistines and stopped that battle right there at that moment. But the Lord didn't allow that to happen. Why? Well, because this battle had a purpose. This was not a battle that Israel was going to win. In fact, this battle would serve as judgment for the sins of Saul. So as we're looking at this whole picture, God is so great that he's moving in, on both sides at the same time. David's thinking, well, I'll just go into battle with King Achish. I'll turn on him and I'll attack them. The Philistines, the, the lords of the Philistines see this. They're wise enough to cast David away, and, and, and the Lord allows that to happen. Why? Because Saul has sinned, and Saul needs to be judged. And, and this is all part of prophecy. The Lord had already told Saul, you are going to die in battle, and everything that I have given you will be taken away and given to David. So notice how the Lord sends David away in peace, to go back to Philistine territory to be safe. But at the same time, he continues to march the Philistines onward. And he continues to march Saul onward to his judgment. See, David didn't even know at this moment in time that he would be rescued from both of his enemies, Achish and Saul. He had no clue. David had run away to the Philistines because he thought, well, God can't care for me anymore. 
And all the while, God is putting things into motion to put an end to David's misery of being chased by Saul. David had no clue whatsoever. Listen, that's how good God is. You have no clue what he's doing in your life. You may think, man, why are you doing this to me, Lord? Why are you putting me through this misery? Why, what have I done to you? Well, first of all, let me answer that question. You've done plenty of bad. But in his grace and in his mercy, you do not know what he is doing in your situation. There may be misery, there may be pain, there may be struggle for years on end. But you can never forget the promises of God. That's easy for me to preach and hard for me to do. I understand the difficulty with that. But we must always remember that the Lord saves. And especially us, the Lord saves us. I'll end with this. This final application, the fact that the Lord saves us. We see how David made a mess of his life, how the Lord saved him. And we can look at that situation and we can see how the Lord saves us. There are times that we make a tangled mess of our lives. How do we do this? Exactly the same way David did. We follow the desires of our hearts, knowing where it would lead us. We've been there before, but yet we're so hard-headed, we're so absent-minded, we forget how it happened before. Or we're so prideful to think we're not going to allow it to happen again. And then we're there. We're at rock bottom again. We've gotten there because we've exchanged the word of God for human knowledge and reasoning. We've gotten there because we've allowed our hearts to guide us and tell us this feels right without considering what the word of God says. We forget that we were to walk by faith and not by sight. And because of our sin, we get to a point where we don't feel the Lord near us. We pray and don't hear God speaking to us. We feel this loneliness. Why? Because we have grieved the Holy Spirit in our disobedience. We get to the point where we feel the Lord has abandoned us. But as I said, and I will always say, that is not true of his covenant children. For the Lord says, I'll never forsake you. I'll never abandon you. I'll never leave you. Psalm 34 says this. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous. Isn't that comforting? I feel guilty for even considering myself righteous. I look at that and I say, Lord, that can't be me. I'm not righteous. There's not one righteous cell in my body. It reminds me of why I am righteous. I am righteous because the Lord is righteous. 
I am righteous because I have placed my faith in the one who is righteous. So then, therefore, the eyes of the Lord are upon me. They are, they are toward the righteous and his ears toward their cry. That means when I pray, the Lord hears me. And not only hears me as to like, just hears me, but the Lord hears and responds. There, there's a difference, right? When you speak to somebody, they're, they actually, they're hearing the noise coming out of your mouth, but they're not listening to the words coming out of your mouth. You get that? Husbands get accused of that being selective hearing. But when we pray, the Bible says that he, his ears are bent towards our words. That the Lord is listening to what we say and it's not falling on deaf ears. That, that, that he is going to move in some way. It says the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. So if, if the, the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous, the face of the Lord is against those who are not righteous, those who do not have Christ, to cut off the memory of them from the earth. But listen to this. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles and you heard that right when the righteous cry out he delivers them from all their troubles but you can say well pastor why why do I have trouble in life well your life is not over yet is it your trouble's not over because your life's not over but it doesn't mean that the Lord is saving you out of those troubles Again, we have to remind ourselves, this is not a, 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 a life where we will not have any trouble. This is not a trouble-free life. But the Lord is faithful to his promises that he will save us from all of our troubles. In fact, it says the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. And then the psalmist says, many are the afflictions of the righteous. But the Lord delivers him out of them all. That was Psalm 34, 15 through 19. That's David after the first time he ran to the Philistines and the Lord saved him out of his trouble. Aren't those beautiful words? Don't you think David would have remembered that before he ran over there again? He didn't. Just like you and I don't. Remember what fear does? It causes us to think irrationally. Listen to this. Wherever you are today, and no matter what mess you've made of your life, hear me and listen very carefully. The Lord saves. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. That's from Lamentations chapter 3, verses 22 to 23. Consider how the Lord has saved 
the many sinners of the Bible. Abraham lied. Jacob was a deceiver. Joseph was sold into slavery and imprisoned. Samson was a fool. David was a murderer and adulterer. Solomon was an idolater. John the Baptist waved or wavered in faith. The disciples deserted Jesus. Paul ravaged the church. And then there's you. And all the sins that you have committed and the mess that you have made. We have all made a mess of our lives. But praise God that the Lord is able to save. My plea to you this morning is for you to come to the cross. Repent and trust in the Lord again. Let us pray.